chapter on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow up. And thou the king the justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness, may he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on the mown field. He did um, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes know, um, bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present their gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy, cry, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land and the tops of, on the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish from Lebanon and thrive like the grass in the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the, to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Es en Salmo 72, la página 7. Oh Dios, otorga tu justicia al rey, tu rectitud al príncipe heredero. Así juzgará con rectitud a tu pueblo y hará justicia a tus pobres. Brindarán los montes bienestar al pueblo y fruto de justicia a las colinas. El rey hará justicia a los pobres del pueblo y salvará a los necesitados. Él aplastará a los opresores. Que viva el Rey por mil generaciones, lo mismo que el sol y que la luna. Que sea como la lluvia sobre un campo sembrado, como las lluvias que empapan la tierra. Que en sus días florezca la justicia y que haya gran prosperidad hasta que la luna deje de existir. Que domine el Rey de mar a mar, desde el río Éufrates hasta los confines de la tierra. Que se postren ante él las tribus del desierto 
que muerdan el polvo sus enemigos, que le paguen tributos los reyes de Tarsis y, la, y de las costas remotas, que los reyes de Sabá y de Seba le traigan presentes, que ante él se inclinen todos los reyes, que le sirvan todas las Él librará al indigente que pide auxilio y al pobre que no tiene quien lo ayude. Se compadecerá del desvalido y del necesitado y a los menesterosos le salvará la vida. Los librará de la opresión y de la violencia porque considera valiosa su vida. Que viva el rey, que se le entregue el oro de Sabá, que se ore por él sin cesar. Que todos los días se le bendiga, que abunde el trigo en toda la tierra, que ondeen los trigales en la cumbre de los montes, que el grano se dé como en el Líbano, que abunden las gavillas como la hierba del campo, que su nombre perdure para siempre, que su fama permanezca como el sol, que en su nombre las naciones se bendigan unas a otras, que todas ellas lo proclamen dichoso. Bendito sea Dios el, el, el Señor, el Dios de Israel, el único que hace obras portentosas. Bendito sea por siempre su glorioso nombre, que toda la tierra se llene de su gloria. Amén y Amén. Que aquí terminan las oraciones de David, hijo de Isaí. Thank you, brothers. If all of you could turn with me to page 8 of your bulletins. We were away last week uh, because of our fall retreat. I hope none of you showed up here thinking we had service when we didn't, but if you did, I hope you got some good brunch around the corner. I don't know, right? Um, but welcome back. Uh, but we are continuing and actually finishing our brief series on the church's vision, uh, the vision of uh, Grace Meridian Hill, which you'll find there in the bulletin. and. I'm going to run down real quick. Make sure I'm seeing what you, you see. Uh, but we're taking different passages of scripture and just running through the main themes of our mission statement, just making sure that we know that these aren't just ideas we're making up about the kind of church we want to be, but rather that they do come from the heart of God, that they come from scripture. And so we have here before you on page eight, our vision and mission statement, our vision to be a true neighborhood. And our mission is to build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. And so four weeks ago, we focused on that little phrase, gospel community, exploring one aspect of what that means, and then spiritually diverse community, and then cross-cultural community, and today we land on this commitment of ours to be a neighborhood-centered community. One way that you might, one way that we have described what this means is to say that we want to be a church that is in the neighborhood that is of the neighborhood, and that is for the neighborhood. In other words, we want to be a church in the neighborhood. That means not just being physically located here, but being emotionally and relationally present as neighbors, devoting our time, our energy, our talents, our finances, our hearts, and our prayers to this particular geographical community 
context. And of course, which also means if you don't personally, physically live here, that you are joyfully invited to still be a part of this mission, to be in this community. That we're committed to being not just in our neighborhood, but of our neighborhood. Meaning belonging to the neighborhood. Not just floating by and not just taking from the neighborhood, but rather taking personal ownership of its needs, its challenges, its struggles. Living and serving with our neighbors as partners and striving over time to become more and more a reflection of our neighborhood's people. And finally, we endeavor to be a church that is for our neighborhood, which means laboring sacrificially for the well-being of all of our neighbors with compassion, with justice, and with kingdom neighborliness, loving our neighborhood, getting to know it, but also loving our neighbors all of our neighbors, and yet also with a special regard given to the poor and the oppressed and the hurting in the community. This is the sort of church, by God's grace, we long to be. And we're looking at one passage here, one psalm, one prayer, Psalm 72, that gives us just a little bit more fullness of understanding what this can look like here. So let me pause and take a time out and pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would be present in this time as we know you already have been present throughout this service. But now especially so as we listen to your word that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. That your heart and your voice, your truth, your grace would be communicated with clarity to all of our hearts that you would stir us from within, but then you would electrify our lives with new fruit of obedience and new lives that look more like Jesus. That's our prayer, our longing. We know you can do it. You can promise that you will. So we look forward to what you're going to do in the next few minutes. We pray with expectation in Jesus' name. Amen. How, how can you use your power to serve the poor. How can you use your power to serve the poor? This is the question brought to us by this psalm. Uh, the central invitation, the central opportunity that's presented to us by these words here, Psalm 72, and we're looking at it. It's a psalm and a song and a prayer rolled up in one. It was either written by the great King David to his son Solomon or by Solomon himself. Either way, it's a prayer for Israel's king. And notice the things that we hear in this prayer for this king. It's a prayer for his faithful execution of his job. And what is his job? We're told in no uncertain terms. The king's job is to look after the poor. 
The psalm sings of the king's responsibility for what's called the afflicted ones. That's a word that also could be translated poor, a person of humble circumstances, a person that has been afflicted by the trials of life economically, relationally, and otherwise. We find the same word in verse 2 and 4. Verse 12 describes them as the afflicted who have no one to help. The king's mission is to the needy, we're told. Verse 4 and 12 and 13, the needy who cry out. In verse 13, we're told he cares for the weak. The psalm is talking about the king's responsibility to the poor, but the psalm is also poetically, richly using all kinds of words to describe their condition. You see, because it's not just talking about people who don't have a lot of money. It's talking about how people with a shortage of power often experience a vulnerability that comes along with a shortage of money. It's talking about those who lack resources to pull themselves out of their plight. It's another way of describing holistic poverty. The king's job is to look after these. But what should he do for these afflicted ones? Well, we're told that also. He's to judge them, verse 2, which means to provide them with justice. He's to defend them, verse 4. Save the children of the needy, verse 4. Save the needy from death, verse 13. He's to deliver the needy, verse 12. Rescue them from oppression and violence. Again, note the poetry of all these words and images stacked up on each other, meant to communicate to us that the king is doing everything he can to love the poor and the oppressed. And not only is he called to deal with the effects of oppression, he must deal with the sources of oppression themselves. In verse 4 it says, may he crush the oppressor, not just oppression, not just the effects and the aftermath of oppression, but the oppressor, the very source of all that plagues, these afflicted ones. Oppressor, it's a word that refers to someone who takes advantage of the vulnerable. But you got to keep noticing, notice again here, the king isn't just rescuing, he's also restoring. In verses 6 and 7, may he be like rain falling on a mown field like showers watering the earth in his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more it's checking out my lawn a couple weeks i've been i preach a lot about my lawn don't i this is a source of real trial for me noticing a couple of weeks ago when it hadn't rained for a couple of weeks that it had been browning that it was starting to wilt and die and get crunchy and crusty. Even my daughter was complaining that it was hurting her feet when she was running around in it. 
That's no lawn for a child. And also noticing in the front yard some of these flowers that had been so pretty, adding so much color to our front area, now browning. And their stems and the leaves sort of wilting, really looking kind of sad. Until a couple of days ago, when the rains came down. How many days ago was that? And how many days did it rain? And I was excited to see that and the rain fell and it was a couple of hours and it turned into a couple of days and it took a break and it rained again and this is the image that we're given here. It's just amazing. I don't know if you noticed it around town or in your own yards, but that rain itself suddenly, guys, my grass is green all over again. And those little flowers are perky, standing up, not wilted, just strong all over again. This is the image that's being appealed to and drawn up here in this passage. That the king in his justice is like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. You see, the king's goal isn't simply to make the poor more rich. The point is to see the poor come alive. To flourish, to bud where you have not yet budded. To be all that God designed and rejoices for you to be. To bear fruit with dignity and joy. Even that word prosperity, we see it also in verse 3. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. And of course, that word in our English language makes you think, well, there it is, saying make the poor rich or middle class. And that's really not the idea there. Because you may know that that word is trying to translate the great, rich, robust Hebrew word shalom. Most commonly translated, peace. I think a better word might be wholeness or fullness. Last weekend, our retreat speaker, Pastor Bradley Barnes, he defined shalom as all things rightly related, finally at last. And I thought that was helpful because shalom for the poor is when relationship with God is restored and relationship with myself and my sense of personal dignity is restored. Where relationship with the world in your work and connectedness with family and friends and neighbor and community are all together healed and restored and strengthened. This is what the king provides. Not just resources, but all things rightly related. The king's goal is shalom, which means his goal is to make the poor more healthy and whole in God's name. What's the king's motivation? For one, compassion. Not a surprise, but we got to see it again. Verse 13, he will take pity on the weak and needy. It's a rich word meaning sympathy and love for those that are struggling. But notice also in the next verse, in verse 14, we're told this, that the king will rescue them from oppression and violence. He will rescue them. Why? 
What's motivating him? What, what, what's in his heart and his mind? Why the rescue? For precious is their blood in his sight. They're precious to him. He sees the value of the lives of the poor. He knows that their lives typically are not valued in society. And he takes it therefore upon himself to publicly recognize in words and with deeds the value of the life of the afflicted. Which is exactly why the whole psalm starts off like this. Endow the king with your justice, O God. The royal son with your righteousness. May he judge or bring justice to your people in righteousness, your afflicted one, with justice. You see, in the Bible and in this psalm, even more foundational than compassion as motivation for walking with the poor is a commitment to justice. The king does this not just because he feels it or feels for them, though that's critical too, yes, but he does it because it's right. He does it because this is what is owed to the poor as people created in God's image. This is not charity. This is justice. But he cannot do this in his own strength. And so this prayer is a prayer asking God to give the king all the help that he needs. As we just read, endow or give the king your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. It's a prayer that the king would have the character of God that he would have the very heart of God. He here is simply reflecting God's own commitment to the poor. You see, this prayer even describes the poor in verse 2 as your afflicted ones, God. They belong to you. You have attached yourself to them. This is how closely, how personally God identifies with these afflicted ones, the poor. He says, they belong to me in a special way. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If you're here today, dear neighbor, dear friend, and you're struggling, and you're just feeling economically vulnerable. This passage is reminding you today, God is on your side. The king is being prayed over that he would have the character and the heart of God, that he would do the mission of God. And as a result, we're told, the king would be publicly recognized for this commitment to the poor. 
Look at verse 9. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him for. So why is he getting all these gifts? Why all this recognition? Why all this tribute from all these foreign kings, these people all around him? Why for? he will deliver the needy who cry out because he is delivering the afflicted who have no one to help the king will be celebrated and thanked specifically because of his commitment to the poor this is his reputation this is what he is known for and yet that's not the only praise that we find offered in this passage. You see, the final verses of this passage, people will praise God because of the king's commitment to the poor. The psalm ends with this word of praise in verse 18. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Can we apply this passage briefly? Who is this king? Let's apply it by asking this question. Who is this king? Number one and first and foremost, this king is Jesus. The true King David, the ultimate son of David, the final Solomon. Both Christians and ancient Jewish readers have always read Psalm 72 as one that points forward to the Messiah. We get a, a hint here that something far more than the ancient kings of Israel in David's day were in mind when the language here starts to soar with human impossibility. And so you find in verse 5 this prayer that the king would endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. There is no king whose reign is forever and ever. In verse 8, may he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In verse 17, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. It could not possibly be pointed to any one human being that could fulfill it, but only God himself who would one day come in the person of his son, the Messiah Jesus, who would enact his reign, who would come to take our place, to die for all of our afflictions and raise to life to begin the true life of shalom for which we were created. All things rightly related, beginning with a restored relationship with God for sinners. And so he stood on this earth as a fulfillment of other prophecies like that in Isaiah 11, where the prophet said that the Messiah would come with righteousness and he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. 
This wasn't a sideshow. It was very central to the consciousness of the ministry of Jesus. He who, in one of his very earliest sermons, stood up. And quoting again from the prophet Isaiah, as we hear in Luke 4, Jesus said and preached, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say, favor. Jesus is the Messiah, the true King, and his mission is ministry to the poor. That he has come to seek and save the lost for the forgiveness of sins and dine on the cross and rise and again for those who would embrace him to be reconciled to God. And yet he has always had a particular passion for those most vulnerable and made most helpless by the brokenness and dangers of this world. Do you know this Messiah? When you think of the person of Jesus, whether you're just getting to know him or if you've been bearing his name for years and years, do you know him as the Lord of the poor? Secondly, this king is not only Jesus, but the king is the church. And what I mean by that is that the church is described throughout the New Testament as the very body of the Messiah, Jesus. The book of Acts opens up by saying, the Luke writing here, well, in my first work, the Gospel of Luke, I began by telling you all the things that Jesus in his life leading up to the cross and resurrection began to do, and now I'm going to write for you volume two. Suggesting, of course, that the book of Acts, the story of the church leading on into today, is the story of the continuing ministry of Jesus, the Messiah of the poor, even to this day, through his hands and his feet, namely, you. And that if we take on this appropriate identity do we understand as a church therefore that ministry to and with the poor is therefore not an extracurricular activity and therefore it's not even to be outsourced to just Christian organizations but rather needs to be at the heart and electrifying the heartbeat of the church itself. This ministry being weaved into the very fabric of the community, right into our neighborhood groups and our mom's groups and our men's breakfasts and our social activities and our welcome team and our engagement with neighbors, even into our music as a central part of discipleship in Jesus, a core curriculum piece for our spiritual growth as a church. Do you see this in the life of the church central to 
our mission? Do we operate like that, dear friends? Is this infused into the life of Grace Meridian Hill? Can we talk about that? Thirdly, the king, of course, in shadowy form, also refers and applies to people in positions of civil authority. And so there's an appropriateness to us taking these principles and saying that all people in positions of authority as being ordained by God, therefore, should give little glimpses of these principles, this responsibility that God has given power and authority to people in different positions of strength for the sake of the poor. And so whether if it's business leaders or ANC commissioners or city council members or mayors or members of Congress or the president, do we see here and will we hold our leaders accountable or if we ourselves fill these positions, will we be the sorts of leaders that use our power for the good of the poor? And let me be clear here, this is not in any way a politically partisan statement because there are any numbers of ways that this value can be worked out in public policy and in leadership, whether as a conservative or a liberal, whether as a communitarian or as a libertarian. Any number of ways, but this passage reminds us that this is a central reason for which this authority has been given unto men and women. And that us many kings, as it were, people in positions of power, have been endowed with this power and should be prayed that we use that power for the good of the poor. And fourthly and lastly, this applies not only to Jesus, not only to the church, not only to people in civil authority positions, leaders, but it applies finally to every Christian. To every Christian. Because you see, if you're a member of the church, as we've said, the hands and feet of Jesus, his body, then of course this mission and mantle rests upon you as well. But also because every person here has been given some mantle of authority, some opportunity, some sphere of influence, let's call it power. Every one of us has been endowed with something with which you can use to serve the poor. You may not be a literal king, but you've been given the spirit of the ultimate king. You may not have literal royal power and authority, but you have been given abilities. You have been given gifts. You have been given, in varying degrees, education. You have been given relationships and networks. You've been given resources. You've been given power, kingly authority which you are called as little mini-kings in Jesus' name, as people of the Messiah, to use in service of the poor. To love, to walk with, with compassion and a commitment to justice.
caring for people and the effects of oppression, but also going after oppression itself. Whether if it's predatory economic practices, the poor being taken advantage of in housing systems, or being committed to changing laws that puts the poor at a disadvantage legally, economically, socially. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran German preacher, put it, we're not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. We're called to do this not with arrogance, but with deep humility, recognizing that you are not the rescuer, Jesus is. That you are not the rescuer, in fact, you yourself are the rescued. That you come alongside another person whom this passage rightly, accurately describes as needy, but you know that you yourself bear that name too. We are all needy, maybe just in different ways. Because places like verse 12 apply to you as well. This Messiah will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. That this is the ministry and the mission of Jesus, that if you bear his name, if you have embraced Jesus, if you know the Messiah of the cross, that whether if you're wealthy or poor, this is your story too. You were the afflicted who had no one to help. He took pity on you and your weakness and your need and you, he saved you and me from death by his death. We come alongside people, not from above, but shoulder to shoulder with open arms and embrace, charged with the mission of this king, praying that this king would give us his justice his righteousness, his compassion, his humility. And I close simply by letting the poetry of this passage linger in our hearts. Let me read it one more time. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity, shalom to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted ones who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. 
Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land on the tops of the hills. May it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to the one. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. How can you use your power to serve the poor? Let's pray. We ask that you would give us your spirit, Messiah Jesus. Like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing it into our hearts. Let's stand.